As has already been mentioned, you could join me by turning to Psalm 34. Psalm 34 has been the passage of Scripture that we have taken week by week with fighter verses, our memory verses, where we take a few each week. We've just finished this Sunday with the last three verses, and I wanted to preach a sermon on Psalm 34 instead of the parables, which we will continue on for a few more weeks uh, as we get into September. I wonder how you would describe the good life. How do you describe the good life? What does the world describe as a good life? Let me, let me tell you some people, as I reflect on this last week or two and having conversation, I'll tell you some people that are living the good life and have lived the good life. One is in a hospital right now, just had a heart transplant, last seven years have been plagued with constant health issues from cancer to recovery to heart failure to a new heart. She's really living the good life, according to what Psalm 34 is going to speak of. Talk to another man who's in his 70s, who's been in constant pain, has Bell's palsy because of some reason they can't understand, keeps falling because his legs buckle. He's a member of our church, and he is taking names from people in the hospital so he can send them cards and invite them to church and invite them to Christ more. He's living the good life. Let me tell you about another lady who's been uh, homebound since COVID and maybe will be here a few weeks from now. But because of complications after complications, all she can basically do is stay home in her living room or her bedroom and pray. And she told me, I am just, I am so happy for everything God has given me. I just get to talk to God all the time and I, and I hear what God is doing. She is living the good life. Let me tell you who's living the good life. A friend of mine in India born in India, a pastor's son who's part of the caste system that's untouchable, who has been allowed to, with others, start different churches and see Jesus Christ's life take root in people's lives. He's had his life threatened, his family threatened, his life is constantly under threat from Hindu um, terrorists. He's living the good life. I wonder if that's what you thought when you What about your family? What would be the good life in your life? Would it be a different climate? Would it be a different house? Would it be a vacation or a cabin to visit on a regular basis? Um, How old would you need to live in this life to actually say you lived the good life? Is marriage necessary to the good life? How about kids and grandchildren? Suppose different people could answer it in different ways. How would God's word want us to define that and answer that? Psalm 34 is an invitation to the good life. You see, right from the beginning, David is making an appeal before God and before others, and he's saying, come and worship this God. And yet this psalm is filled with fears and troubles or mentions of fears and mentions of troubles and afflictions and the wicked written during a pretty horrible season in a young man's life. The good life? 
What is required for you and I to say, I am living the good life. I have lived the good life. And I pray that we will taste and see the goodness of the Lord. I want to give you a challenge. Everyone, this is a specific, concrete challenge. I gave it last yesterday when we were at men's breakfast. And I was surprised that two of them reached out to me and took me up on this challenge. And you don't have to take me up by telling me you're going to do this, but I would love to hear it and I'll write it down and I'll pray for you. Here's my challenge. There's no time limit on this, but if you will take Psalm 34 and memorize all of it, so much so that you're ready to meet with me, talk with me on the phone, whatever it is, and share Psalm 34 with me, that's my challenge to you, take walks and think about it and memorize it. Take time every day, every, every week, just ponder it. If you do that, I, here's my challenge, here's my incentive. I have two books that I, that I offer to you, and you get your choice on one of them. One is Knowing God by J.I. Packer. It is a life-changing book that will draw you to God. He is such a good teacher. He says it in a glorious way, instructs, instructions on what the heart of Christianity is and the attributes of God. This book can and will change your life if you let it. This, this would, you could choose this book, or Jerry Bridges wrote a book called The Joy of fearing God, the joy of fearing God, of which this psalm is about fearing God. And this book is also life-changing. It is, impacts every aspect of your life. So here's the, here is the challenge, friends, Faith Church, or if you're visiting, I offer it to you. If you memorize Psalm 34, if we have 50 books to give away, we'll give 50 books to give away. And... I, would, I do believe it would be so worth your investment. I believe it will impact your soul as you meditate on God's word a day and night. And this psalm will take you to a hospital bed. This psalm will take you in the night while you're laying in bed pondering the things of God. It will take you on your commute. It will take you to school. And if you gain, you'll gain more than this book, one of these books, and a head full of 22 verses. I pray that you be drawn closer to God. That's my challenge. That's the Psalm 34 challenge. We don't have any wristbands for that. It's just the Psalm 34 challenge. I want you to see five things as you work your way down Psalm 35, Psalm 34. Five things. I want you to see the invitation to the good life and then the testimony of the good life. And then the secret of the good life. And then the practice of the good life. And the foundation of the good life. This psalm is a thanksgiving to God. With wisdom, it invites, it gives testimony, it instructs, it reminds us of things. And it is a song written by King David in the night in hard times, in trials, in darkness. If you read the subscript, the title, right under Psalm 34 in your Bibles, it'll say something like this. Of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, or that was probably the title of a king of Gath, so that he drove him out and he went away. 
You could read about this in 1 Samuel chapter 21, 10 through 15, and it is quite a story. David is running from Saul who wants to kill him. His father-in-law wants to kill him. He's scared, and he, he ends up at the king of Gath's gates. He's thinking, i got to hide somewhere. And he, he's sitting at the gates, and he overhears the king and soldiers talking, and they say, isn't this David the one that Israelites would sing that Saul has killed his hundreds and David, or his thousands, and David is ten thousands. And it says that David heard these words and took them to heart, and he was much afraid of the king. And so what does David do? He fakes like he's insane. He draws on the gates, and he lets spit come down and run onto his beard, and they see, think he's a madman, and they leave him alone, and the, and the king kind of says something humorous. He says, don't I have enough madmen in my kingdom? Get him out of here. And he flees. At, whether it was during the situation or after he wrote this psalm. And David is saying, welcome to the good life. As we work through the psalm, I hope you see it. I hope you'll see with spiritual eyes. You'll see not just it, good life you'll see him. Oh, I, I, that, that's, our, that's our need, brothers and sisters. We need to see God, his goodness. The good life is found in a relationship with God that is not absent from trials and fears like David talks about in this psalm, but it's made richer because of fears and trials through experiences because of the experiencing in those trials of the tasting that God is really good. The good life is found in the joy of fearing God. It is found in the abundance of supply from God to a man or a woman who has learned the happiness of this thing. This psalm shows us that the fears that we face are only calmed by a much greater fear. The joy of fearing God. And which leads to a life of worship and praise. A life of knowing God. So here they are. Five, five points. I just want to work them through, walk, walk them through this psalm. First of all, there's an invitation to the good life. Invitation to the good life. Look at verses 1 through 3. I will bless the Lord at all times, David says. His praise shall continually, he makes a pledge. His, I will praise the Lord at all times, I'll bless him. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. He starts to fix an appeal to the congregation. Let the humble hear. I want you to hear this. You humble enough to listen, there's gladness for you. There's joy, there's happiness. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord. That word magnify, oh, just praise the Lord. Show him off when you hear what he's done. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. What David wants to do is he wants to welcome you and me. He wants to welcome his congregation. Those that were part of his flock at that time, his, his, his band that would go travel with him in the cave and then travel him on different parties, they against the king, or at least hiding from King Saul and against the Philistines. David 
invites them, invites us to the good life. And it's a life of praising and a life of worship. He says, I will at all times, I'll praise continually in my mouth. I will boast not in myself, I will boast in the Lord. And he invites us to hear. He invites us to this good life, a life of praise. And the rest of the psalm points and prods and instructs and calls and woos us through testimony and through promises and truths of God's word and instructions of the joyful life of fearing God because God is so good and he wants us to know him. And I want you to hear this, friends. This is not a call for some super Christians. This is a call for God's people, all of them. Fear the Lord, you his saints. And let us magnify the Lord with David. This psalm is for those who fear. Are you full of fear? I can be. It is for those full of troubles. Are you full of troubles? If, if you're not, you haven't lived long enough. Because if you live in this world, you have troubles. For those needing deliverance. Needing rescue. For those that need, for those that are broken hearted, this psalm is for. And crushed in spirit. You might say, that's a good term for me. I feel crushed in spirit this week. This happened, and it crushed me. She said that, and it crushed me. That, that was the final straw, and now I'm broken hearted. This psalm is for the afflicted. This call, this invitation to the good life is for all of those people. And so, do you meet those categories? They are called in the psalm, the humble and the delivered and the radiant and the poor and the saved and the God-fearing and the happy and blessed and the saints and the satisfied. They're called children and righteous. They're, they're kept, they're redeemed, and they're uncondemned. So, hear the welcome to the good life, invitation to the good life. The righteous, he calls them the righteous. The righteous will see it. The righteous are part of this. But let me, as we move through the psalm, when he says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. The righteous, that would be none of us, only Jesus. The righteous are those who are in fellowship with God through the terms of God's covenant for sinners. Sinners who have come to God and call on Him to save them from their sins based not on anything that they did to earn or merit God's forgiveness, but based only on what Jesus has done for them on the cross, paying for their sins, and they plead with God to forgive them based on what Jesus has done and God brings them into covenant, forgives them, makes them his own, and pledges his fidelity, his faithfulness to them forever. That's the righteous. And they enjoy a fellowship with him. And they then have, grow to have a faith, a joy, a confidence, a hope, because of the work of God for them, what Jesus has done, and it changes everything about them. Faith Church, friends, visitors, I invite you 
welcome you to the good life of praising God, to knowing this God, entering into relationship with God. But I want, I want to show you the second thing, a, a testimony of the good life. As you move into verses 4 through 7, you see the testimony of a good life. You know a testimony. Hey, I want to hear your testimony. You know, Tammy, will you come on up and give me your testimony? Chuck, will you come up and give your testimony? Or Gordon, I, if I had you all come up and you shared your testimony, you might say, what is the testimony? Oh, the testimony is how God saved me. Or a testimony might be, hey, I want to tell you what God did for me this week. I was going to work and I was so discouraged I was so frustrated. I was crushed in spirit. And this happened and this happened and this happened. God brought me through this. That's my testimony. I got a call yesterday from a friend that had asked for prayer this week about a work-related issue that was so frustrating, so discouraging to him. And it was provoking him in so many ways. He said, I want to talk to you, Pastor. God answered my prayer this week. He shared with me and we praised God for how God gave him this testimony this week. David has a testimony. And that's what he's doing here in verses 4 through 7. He says, I sought the Lord. That was past tense. I sought the Lord. And I want you to hear this. He answered me. He answered me. And he delivered me from all my fears. Is David going to have more fears? You bet he's going to have more fears. Is David going to need more deliverances? You sure can guarantee David will have more need of being delivered. But at this point, he praises God for the deliverance. And he, he then can't help but say to us, say to the audience, original audience, but it's meant for us today to feed our faith and understand things about God. He says, he says those, who look, they've, those who look to God, it's like their face has been sunburned by the glorious grace of God. They are radiant. It is it, the, the blessing that I use at the end of services. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face ca cause his face shine upon you and give you his peace. Those who look to him, his, his light shines upon our, his face shines upon us. And we have a different radiance. It's kind of like, you, you know how it is when you're walking by and maybe you're in the mall. Maybe you're in some crowded place and somebody just looks at you and just with a real friendliness not a spookiness, but a friendliness, just smiles at you. What do you want to do back? Smile. He says, this poor man cried. Have you been crying before? Maybe not literally, but you probably have. You sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And then he says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers him. I don't have time to spend on all of these verses. There's so much in each verse. That's why I commend you to memorize this. You'll go verse by verse and you'll start pondering, does the angel of the Lord really surround me? And, and what does that mean? Is there really the presence of angels? I do believe there is. We see that throughout scripture. But David's saying, I saw the presence. God came and he just delivered me talked to somebody this week in a hospital bed and he said, oh, I believe it. I, several years ago, I know God visited me with an angel that just really impacted me. I've, I've heard others. Have you experienced that? It's not the point of this psalm. The point, this is a testimony of God's deliverance. 
Remember when David wrote this psalm, he was in crisis. He faced crisis after crisis. Father-in-law wants me dead. I run to the king of Gath. They want me dead. I act like a madman. I go to a cave. Then a bunch of depressed people come and live with me. That sounds really frustrating. (laughs) And yet he sings, I will bless the Lord at all times. He knows that the good life isn't determined on circumstances that are around him. And he wants you to hear his testimony. He wants the humble to hear, because that's, that's who we'll hear. He wants the humble to hear and be glad. He wants us to hear and see that God delivers, and he wants you to believe that God can deliver you. He wants you to take his word for it. I want you to take his word for it. I want you to take my word for it. That God is good and that God delivers those who cry out to him. He doesn't do it in your timing. He stretches you. He cares. He uses trials for your good. He loves you too much to leave you where you are. But he does deliver. He says, David's as though David is saying, I was so scared. And he heard my cry and he helped me. It was so bad, but I worship today because his goodness makes everything right. I I preached a sermon in 2008. I was looking back in 2019 when I was preaching through David's sermons, 1 Samuel. And when I got to 1 Samuel 19, it it was one chapter where David was delivered five times because like five different things were happening to him. His father in law wanted him killed and chased him all these all these different ways. And we saw how. God's deliverances were all, of all kinds. He delivers us through, through hospital. And I, I said this, this way, God's deliverances, our testimonies will come through medical help and sometimes through supernatural help. It'll come through um, going through a hard time and we don't get the deliverance we thought, but God was there for me. All of our deliverances in this life are temporary because all the people that I've mentioned at the beginning that are in the hospital, may had a heart transplant, going through surgeries, recovering. They might recover, but they're going to eventually not recover. Health-wise, physically, we're going to pass away. They're temporary in this world. Yet God is sustaining and working in our lives. They are always purposeful. His trials and His deliverances. That's why David will sing and write psalms Uh, that are meant for the night and for trial, and they're meant to minister to our souls. Psalms like Psalm 33, the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and so are doctors, so are insurance companies, so so is money, so is the things of this world are, are false hopes of salvation. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love, that he might deliver their soul from the death and keep them from famine. David said, I will call in the day of, in the day of trouble, and he, I will, God will deliver me, and I will glorify him. Did you listen to the deliverances of David, his testimony? Before I move on, I just want to say to you, there's been several times in my life where God brought me to the end of myself in a situation most notably right now, as I think about it, it was, it was last, uh, it was my first pastorate in Minnesota about 15 years ago, and we were struggling. We didn't have a building. We didn't have all these things, and I thought we were going to have to close. People were saying, we're going to have to close the church. I think we're done. 
I was a young pastor. I'm thinking, oh, I'm a failure. It's terrible. I can't even keep a church going. And God said, maybe, but are you going to trust me? And I remember Molly and I getting on our knees in front of our couch in our basement in Forest Lake, Minnesota, and saying, God, it is yours. If you want to deliver this church and bring it forward, that's your business. You own this church. You own Grace Church. You own this ministry. You own our lives. You do it with, but we surrender. We, we cry out to you. We give you our fears and we give you our troubles. And I remember getting up going, I don't know what's going to happen. God's really good and he's going to do something that I can just accept. And he delivered, he helped, and he blessed, and he brought forward in the ministry by God's grace continues and is thriving today. That was his mercy, his deliverance. When I look back at that testimony in my life, it fuels my several of those in my life. Do you? God can bring those in your life. And there are others in this room that I wish we had time to take testimonies of when for you is the testimony where you sought the Lord and he answered you and delivered you out of his fear, out of your fears, and led to an irradiance. You knew God was there for you. So we see, welcome to the good life. And David says, here's a testimony life. Verses 8 through 10, the secret of the good life. Now when I say the secret, I, I mean the, the heart behind it. Like, you, you want to know where it is? It's right here. This is it. Get to this substance. This is the heart of it. You need to get this. David says, oh, taste. Oh, taste and see. You know how that is. Hey, I want, just give it a taste. Once you taste it, you'll, you'll see it's pretty good. Taste it and experience it for yourself. And when you experience it, you'll say it's real. And David says, oh, taste and see the goodness of God. Happy. The word blessed means, oh, how happy, how good it is for a life, the person who takes refuge in him. The tasting and seeing God and His goodness is the people who get on their knees in life and they say, God, my life is yours. I, I, I can't do the heavy lifting in my life. You must. I have always tried to live for myself. Enough of that. I need to look to you. I take refuge in you. He goes on and says, verse 9, Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. All you who are His people, all you who call in His name. That's the word saints mean. All you who are God's people, fear the Lord. For those who fear Him have no lack. We're going to sing that in just a few minutes. He'll give you everything. He'll give you everything. Well, does that mean He'll give you everything you ask for or want? You're just going to be rich? No. He'll give everything that you truly need. And if you, if you don't need it, if you don't have it, it means you didn't need it. And if God brings a trial, it's because you needed it. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good things. See this theme? So, tasting and seeing God's good, taking refuge in Him, fearing Him, seeking the Lord. This is the part of the... This is foundation. This is fundamental secret to the good life. It is experiencing God for yourself, crying out to Him, growing to know Him personally. Not a taste and experience how good He is. 
Grow to know it firsthand, His care, His provision, His answering in distress. It means having people in your life to remind you. It's why one of the ways, reasons why God gives us the church. And, and though I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, one of the foundational themes on this is the fear of the Lord. Kind of a hard term. What, what do you mean, the fear of the Lord? That seems kind of harsh. Pastor Daniel, isn't that Old Testament? And New Testament is love. The love of the Lord. We should never, ever cheapen ourselves or think that we would not want the fear of the Lord. Let me just say this. The fear of the Lord is too much of a treasure that if we ever just said that's an Old Testament thing, let's get it out of our minds. It is a gift. We want the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord, friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. Now what does it mean by the fear of the Lord? That doesn't mean that we live our lives trembling and fearful that He is going to swat us away, that He hates us, that He's going to hurt us, that we're just one centimeter away from eternal punishment because He just might get angry and release His anger on us. Not this scared, I'm afraid to go to hell kind of attitude. The fear of the Lord can only happen in the context of a relationship that knows that God is... Two sides of things. On one side, He is absolutely good and righteous. He is holy. He cannot accept sin. He is perfect in all His ways. And everything is right. Someday He will right all wrong in this universe, including our own sin. All of this, that's why the cross was necessary, for justice to take place, to be pour out His wrath upon sin on the cross in Jesus. He is absolutely holy and righteous. And that could make us be like Isaiah 6 when Isaiah fell on his knees when he saw the presence of God and says, I'm going to die because I don't deserve to be in the presence of God. You probably should, I should probably die right now. I'm unclean. That's one side of it, but that's, that's an incomplete side. The other side, as we see, is that God is merciful and just and loving, and near, and kind. On this side, He is so different than us. He's so far away. We could never come to Him. In fact, we should be afraid of Him. We should be fear and awe of Him. And this side, could it, be, it's, could it be true? It's too good to be true. And it is true that He is merciful in love and grace. The fear of God understands both of these tensions and comes into the relationship that says, first place and he loves me and he's brought me into relationship and he forgives me and he even he helps me and when I sin he disciplines me but as a loving father because he's for my good and so therefore as I fear him I I, I respect what I, instead of fearing other people I I I care about him. I put him first. And you see, the, the idea of the fear of God in the, New in the Old Testament into the New Testament is this idea of a settled state of mind, an attitude that says, God is these things, and I want to please him. I'm in relationship with him. He loves me. And therefore, I'm going to put him first. That is why Abraham in Genesis chapter 22 was ready to sacrifice his son, and God stopped him at the end and said, Stop. Now I know that you fear me. You put me first. All throughout the Old Testament, one of the things, the corollary of fearing God meant, I'm going to obey you, God. 
I'm going to obey your authority. If you say it in this book, I'm going to obey you because I have reoriented my living towards you being central to my life. Secret of a good life is learning to taste his goodness and to taste the fear of the Lord and understand why this book was fearing God. I could, this is just meant to be a teaser towards the fear of God for you to explore more. Listen to these verses. How abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, Psalm 31. Or Psalm 103. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love towards those who fear him. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is our help and their shield. He will bless those who fear the Lord. He will cry and saves them. God wants to take a people bringing them into this kind of reverent relationship with Him that is of love and of joy. And He wants us to forever fear and glorify Him, bless His name forever and ever as we enjoy Him. The humble hear this and are glad. They're happy is the man who fears the Lord. Oh, the goodness of God. Learn the fear of God. Enroll today in the lifetime school of growing to know and experience His goodness, His holiness, His kindness, His care. That's what this psalm welcomes us to. Number four, I want you to see the practice of the good life. David moves in saying, Oh, fear the Lord, you as saints. Fear Him. Taste His goodness. Take refuge in Him. Seek Him. But then he says in verses 11 through 14, practice the good life. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord, what I've been talking about. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. He's saying those that fear God learn to control their tongues. Their lips are changed. The way they use their words, their attitudes, their actions change. Those who fear God surrender themselves to Him and get down to the hard work of daily living with new words, new actions, new attitudes, and new agenda. God. They seek peace and pursue it. The fear of the Lord is not primarily an emotion of fear, but it's the settled state of mind and attitude that determines our action. And the mark of trust and fear is words of praise. It is not instead it, it is gossip, complaining, or lying. See how he says this? Keep your tongue from evil. And happy is the peacemaker. Seek peace and pursue it. Remember what Jesus said? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. A life that fears and tastes. God's goodness. Fears God, tastes goodness. The good life is a life that we are slowly and surely, we're not there yet. He, he instructs us. The psalm says, I know you're not there. I'm inviting you into the good life. It takes a lifetime to grow in this, but keep your tongue from evil. Fear God by changing the way you talk. 
It, in fact, as you grow to fear God and you see how good He is, it sweetens your words, sweetens your attitudes. You, you don't have to pursue your own rights because God is for you. You don't have to be the ultimate security for yourself because God is for you. You're free to love other people and be gracious with your words and pursue peace. When we're secure in His goodness, we can be generous with our forgiveness and we don't need to be defensive of our positions. I can say much about that, but the practice of the good life is is started to be brought out in these verses. And then I want you to finally see this, the foundation of the good life. It's already been stated, but I just want to like kind of bring it down one more time in a, in a different way. The foundation of the good life. I see that all throughout this psalm, but I want you to see it in verses 15 through 22. These, ca- these five categories I give you, it's not clean and cut. There's, there's, they're all throughout it, but I see this progression. The foundation of the good life. This God who is good and is to be feared is for me. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. I want God's eyes toward me. That, there, there's a, it's not like it's saying he's, he's towards you. He's looking to you with, with care and, and nearness and help. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. That doesn't mean he's near but helpless. The point that David is making, he's near and he's going to be there to help you. You ever been in a hard time, and you, especially as a little kid? I mean, my, my young kids, especially Mary, it's still at that age. Sometimes when you're scared, I'm just glad dad's near. I just remember that feeling. I'm just glad he's near. I'm glad she's near. Because, why? Because if there's something bad, they're going to take care of it. They're going to call my fears. He says he's near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushing spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers them out of them all. He keeps and redeems them. You see, friends, God is for us. This psalm says the good life is founded in the fact that amazingly, all because of God's mercy and grace, God is for us. His eyes is towards us, the righteous. How could we be considered righteous? Well, because of God's goodness. And I want you to see one very strange verse right towards the end, verse 20. He keeps all of his bones, the afflicted person. He keeps all of that afflicted person's bones. Not one of them is broken. Now, what does David mean by that? I mean, David has been on battlefields already, and he's seen God's men, God's soldiers die. Their bones were probably broken. I don't know, maybe David had a broken bone in his life. I don't know, is he saying that all those who are faithful to God never have a broken bone? That's not what he's saying. He's saying God keeps his people. He keeps them and protects them to the end in the most ultimate way. But but there is a, a prophecy in this. I don't think David knew what he was saying fully. It is in the most of prophecy that would be fulfilled with Jesus. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, in John chapter 19, John records that as was custom, as sundown and the Sabbath was to get ready, they would kill, they would break the legs of those being crucified so that they would die of asphyxiation much quicker 
so they could get them off the cross so that they could have the Sabbath. So they, kill, they did that to one prisoner on the left and one on the right of Jesus. And when they came to Jesus, because Jesus had delivered his soul to God already and was dead, and they were surprised by it, they took a spear and they drove a spear into Jesus' side. And John chapter 19 said, this was written to fulfill the words, not a bone was broken. And they will look upon him whom they pierced. You see... The reason why we could ever hope to have a good life, whether we have, require heart transplants, whether we have cancer, whether we die young or experience great difficulty in family life and in finance or in whatever it is, is because there was a man, the name, his name Jesus Christ came into this world and not one of his bones was broken. He came and God preserved him and protected him. He laid his life down to him, even to death. And he gave himself for all those who would take refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord and seek refuge in that son, Jesus Christ. He is the reason why God is for you and me. And if you put your faith and trust in him, you can be assured that he will be for you forever and you can live the good life. The good life is anchored in this God through Jesus Christ. The good life is dependent and it's humble and it seeks him and takes refuge in him, all based on what God did for us in Jesus. The good life can experience brokenheartedness and crushed in spirit. It can include dark and stormy nights like David had. The good life is a life that gives praise to God because they see that he delivered them and they are glad. The good life is found only in Jesus who is broken for us. The one who was crushed for our sins. The one who did not, he did not feign madness before a king like David. He was the king of all. Father, I pray that you would help us to be to be so glad. God, I pray that you would, if there's anyone in this room that has not received the call and entered to what be called the good life, have received salvation in Christ, have you as their Savior, you as the, their caregiver in life and in death, I pray that if there's anyone in this room that has not repented of their sins and put their trust in you, they would believe and be saved today. God, I pray that you would turn our hearts back to you. I pray that we would hear the invitation to the good life and we would praise and worship. We would fear the Lord. Oh God, would you help us to fear the Lord? Help us to taste and see his goodness today, this week. Help us to listen to the testimonies of David and others. And one of the ways I pray that you would help us in that is as we sing this last song, open our hearts that we may praise you with free and willing and joyful hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.